0: As the dust settles on the 2022 NFL draft, we turn our gaze forward. How do we feel about Seattle's rookies? Where do they project? What do their selections tell us about the direction of the team? The athletics, Arif Hassan, sits down to lend his insight on all that and more. Let's light them up. I'm Jackson Bevins this is cigar thoughts welcome back to the cigar lounge i am jackson bevins and along with my rakish producer mike barwin this is the cigar thoughts podcast mike how are we doing today
1: I'm feeling exasperated by all these descriptors, Jackson. What the hell is going on here?
0: A lot of words out there, Mike. There's a lot of words and they all relate to you. Oh, man. I'm we're a just multifaceted We're just working guy. through what can them, I say? one by one. <laughs> well, listen, it's it's finally over, man. Uh, those of you who caught our last episode got to live and die with Mike and I as we reacted to each of Seattle's picks in real time. But now that a few days have passed, I think it's worth revisiting with some clearer eyes. Fortunately, we have a uniquely gifted guest with us to help do exactly that. One of the more astute and certainly funniest people covering the league. He writes about the NFL for the athletic. Please welcome Arif Hassan. Arif, how are you? I'm good. I'm good.
2: Thanks for the kind words.
0: Yeah. Well, we certainly appreciate you taking the time to chop this up with us. And as an honorary member of Seahawks Twitter, we thought you'd be the perfect person to of help course. make sense of, of your course. adopted team's draft.
2: <laughs> Why not? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
0: In all seriousness, though, you are a remarkable fountain of information when it comes to the draft each year. So let's start at the top. Charles Cross. Given how the first eight picks went, how do you feel about Seattle's selection of Mississippi State's left tackle? And is it the move you would have made if you were in their shoes? Uh,
2: I, I think so. I mean, like, obviously, barring a, a quarterback, it really depends on what you think about the quarterback class, which, of course, we can talk about. Um, yeah, I, I think that Charles Cross was an excellent selection, uh, just in terms of where he was um you know, nationally rated versus where the Seahawks picked. I mean, he was like ninth on the consensus big board, which is a board that I put together uh, with 82 different player rankings from uh, different analysts from uh, across the NFL landscape. And uh, and he ranked ninth and he was picked at ninth. And, and what's really nice about kind of the grading system that I use is that it gives you a little bit of value for, Uh, players whose positions are pretty valuable in the NFL. So tackle, for example, is one of those. Um, And that's based off of historical uh, draft data. And then um, what are perceived to be by analysts across the industry as team needs, which, of course, tackle seems to perpetually be for the seahawks although maybe after this draft it won't be i think they did an excellent job here and then elsewhere later on in the draft on that so i thought that from uh the the ten thousand foot view i thought it was the smart pick it's the pick i would have made um it is interesting because it is not i think the type of player typically associated with the uh, seahawks offensive lineman right like he is he is long right that is that is something that's typically associated but um you tend to get guys that have um either they're completely raw or they've got some sort of specialty in power blocking even though it's a zone blocking scheme typically uh and and he doesn't really have that reputation he is a really remarkable um pass protector but i think he's the best pass protector in the class um and that's not really kind of what the focus is but i think that because of that people have kind of underrated his ability to run block i don't think he's got a ton of power as a base blocker but i think that actually as a zone blocker he's He's pretty good at getting to his landmarks, getting where he needs to be, walling off defenders and stuff like that. So he can be effective. It just seemed a slightly bit out of character, but I don't know that Seattle had much of a choice here either. I mean, he's just a good player, and they grabbed a good player.
0: Yeah, to me it seemed like there was kind of uh, maybe an eight-player board for Seattle between offensive tackle, edge rusher, and corner, and thank God the Falcons took a receiver because seven of those eight went with the first seven picks. And I was encouraged to see that they didn't get cute. As we constantly say here, they just Mm -hmm. took the best player at a position of need and one that is a high value position. Um, But Seattle does. Yeah, totally. I have for 10 years, I've winced every time they select an (laughs) offensive lineman. Because half the time, it's not even an offensive lineman. It's a tight end <laughs> yeah, or right. a, defensive a defensive lineman tackle, yeah. or a basketball player or a rugby convert. So it was just nice to be like, I mean, None some of these people are exaggerations. had him. These yeah. are all real examples I
2: know. of players. <laughs> I know. And,
0: and it was like, oh, this guy was like actually some people's OT1 in yeah. what is, you know, a pretty talented offensive tackle class. But Seattle does still portend to run the football. Um, certainly this year. And I I think moving forward, they want that to continue to be a big part of their game. You talked about his ability to block in a zone scheme and, you know, man blocking versus zone blocking are kind of terms we just throw out, Mm -hmm. but correct me if I'm wrong here, just to kind of help illuminate everybody. Man blocking is what Seattle has been doing for a long time, which is when you're run blocking, you're picking a man, you're getting into his body and you're trying to push him out of the way. Whereas in a zone scheme, you are looking to get to a spot and then seal that spot off. And so in that situation, raw power becomes less important. Would you say that's accurate?
2: Yeah, it is, it is accurate. Um, for me, in terms of identifying a skill set, it is less important kind of how they... Assign uh, those players. It just so happens that zone blocking and man blocking have different assignment principles uh, not as different. I think as people think but they do have different assignment principles and uh, In terms of skill set that is the unimportant part of the evaluation the important part is how exactly a running game creates space using that scheme and so uh, for zone blockers they have to um, get moving right a lot of times it's the second level especially for an interior player um as a tackle if you're play side you need to be able to get to the sideline and cap off that run if you're doing a, an outside zone uh, if you're doing a mid zone you have to basically fake that you're doing that but it's the same skill set um and as the backside player you have to essentially um do a great job as a as a hinge blocker or a cutoff blocker or somebody who's got the ability to um stop the end man on the line of scrimmage unless there's some sort of like play fake at, at, at at hand. And so for that, you need somebody who's got a better awareness of space and a lot more athleticism. Um, whereas with, uh, you know, man blocking schemes, it's a lot more about being able to move somebody off the ball at the line of scrimmage. Um, you might be moving them in a particular direction that can be important, but very often it's just to get them off the line of scrimmage. So that you've got a couple of extra yards of space. So it's how you create space. If you can bring people with you as a mover, um, because you move so well, then you're probably a zone blocking offensive lineman. But if you're putting your hands on somebody at the snap uh, and attempting to, to force them in a direction using, you know, power, then that is typically a man blocker. And it just so happens that the assignments, the way that the assignments are driven, um, happens to correlate. Although you will find, you know, man blocking schemes that want some athleticism because of pullers and pin and pulls and stuff like that, and some zone blocking schemes like inside zone blocking schemes that want a little bit more power. So there is that a little bit of a distinction. And I know that Seattle, when they do run zone, tends to be inside zone. And so that is a power type of zone. Um, And so, uh, yeah, I mean, the Charles Cross selection, um, I wouldn't say runs counter to that principle. I mean, he can always add some strength. Right. Um, But it it, it creates that potential kind of issue that needs to be resolved, I guess.
1: Well, another issue with Seattle's roster that needs to be resolved, as (laughs) we kind of alluded to earlier, is. They have Geno Smith and Drew Locke at quarterback. So it was a bit of a surprise, not a huge one that they punted on quarterback this year. But the fact that Malik Willis and Desmond Ritter, all of the guys minus Kenny Pickett shouts to shouts to Pittsburgh, uh, were on the board in the second round and then again in the third round. What were your thoughts on Seattle passing on the position this year? And who do you think is the most overrated quarterback in this draft class?
2: Um, that's interesting. So I thought, it, honestly, it did make some sense for Seattle to pass in the position, although um, they have the unique history of of making do with a third round quarterback. I think that in Russell Wilson's case it was a little bit unique because he had a bunch of first round traits. Right. And it was just like the one or two things where you were like a little bit concerned. And turns out those things historically don't even all matter all that much anyway. And so I don't know that you can unicorn your way into, you know, getting another third round pick that's got, you know, those first round traits. So I understood it. Um. Honestly, I just like take shots as often as possible. Um, So I I think that, you know, they they probably should have grabbed a quarterback at some point, Um, especially we can talk about the third round pick. I don't know that that, that Kenneth Walker was going to do a ton for you, given that, you know, they're already running backs on the roster. And yeah, he might be the top running back by a lot of people's estimation, but the, the drop off in talent to like a fourth or fifth round running back, even though there aren't a ton of do everything running backs in this particular draft, um, is not, is not all that great. And so maybe you could use that pick to, to find a way to secure a quarterback either through a trade up, um, in order to, to get ahead. Of, I think, cause the, in the third round the Falcons picked ahead of the Seahawks, I want to say, I don't remember. Ritter
1: Ritter was selected after the Seahawks picked Abraham yeah, Lucas okay. in the yeah. third.
2: Oh, with Abraham Lucas. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it, I, I think that despite the fact that I really like the Lucas pick, that maybe the Desmond Ritter pick would have been a little bit better. Um, yeah, so uh, there's that. But um, it, it is pretty understandable given how weak the class was. In terms of like who the most overrated quarterback was, I actually think it is Kenny Pickett. Um, and it's not just because he is the quarterback to go in the first round. Um, I, I did not like him as a quarterback prospect very much. I liked watching him in college. He's one of those guys that um you know kind of just makes things happen but maybe it's because I, i'm like a little bit too used to watching like case keenum type players um but like he's well, a that's guy the gold that... standard right there so <laughs> yeah but he like he's he's like a, in, a, in a really good season he's a really good case keenum and in a bad season he's a really bad case keenum and case keenum has had more bad seasons than good seasons right um i it, he likes to take chances he's got a lot of moxie he's really good on the move he's good good against pressure he, he doesn't get rattled right But his arm, to me anyway, does not make good on the chances that he tries to take, which is exactly, I think, one of the issues with Keenum is that he's got some accuracy issues, but primarily it's an arm strength issue with the types of throws that he wants to make. You know, the Vikings had a a really remarkable pair of receivers the year that Keenum went off, and that helped a lot. I don't know that you can just trust that from year to year to year, which is why the Vikings didn't renew his contract. And I see a lot of that with Kenny Pickett. I don't really like his ability to get the ball outside the hashes or in between tight windows. Um, So I, I really thought that despite the fact that, you know, he read the field well and all that, that he shouldn't have been a first round pick because of it. And also he's an older prospect. And so like some of those things that are positives, you just expect to be positives for somebody who's like 24 or whatever he was. Right. Like that's like, that's the expectation. If you're a 19 year old quarterback, I'm going to give you a little bit more leeway. If you're, you know, over 22, I'm not. Um, And so that's a baseline instead of a positive for me. And so I I didn't love Kenny Pickett. I really like Desmond Ritter, but you know, he's, not that accurate, and for his skill set and the way that he plays, you kind of need that level of accuracy. Um, and then Malik Willis, um, honestly, I'm really happy for him that that he got to a place where he's not going to be pressured to start right away. That he's going to get some time to develop. That um, he's in a system that has like a, a really well defined progression. Um, that it doesn't require him to to be. Um, improvisational and stuff like that, and that's a really good spot for him. And I think that he actually might end up with a longer career as a third-round pick to a team with an established quarterback than a second-round pick to a team without an established quarterback. So maybe, for example, Seattle might not have been a great spot for him, even though uh, that seems like kind of a pairing that, it, for me, fits intuitively. You know, Malik Willis and Seattle just kind of makes sense to me. But, um, you know, for Malik Willis' career, I'm, I'm kind of happy for for where he landed.
0: Yeah, you know, we had kind of prepared ourselves for Seattle not taking a quarterback this year, and it's something that I was actually strongly encouraging, just because I don't think you reach for your savior uh, this year when you've got a lot of capital, both in the draft and uh, monetarily next year to go get that guy in in whatever means you can. So I was I was happy that they stuck with it, but man, every single time it got to Seattle and Malik Willis and Desmond Ritter were still sitting on the board. We're just like, oh man, like do you scrap the plan and just take one of these guys? And and now I've had a couple of sleeps. I'm I'm kind of glad that they just didn't, uh, but they did have two picks at the top of the second round. And you mentioned one of them. And despite a lot of rumors uh, about potentially trading up or trading down, they held at 40 and 41 and selected a couple of Big Ten guys. You're from Minnesota. Tell me about Boye Mafe.
2: I like him a lot. I plan to pick a little bit on Twitter just because um, it did seem kind of Seattle. It's like um, a guy with a particular type of athletic profile that is a super athlete, that is very long, that does require a little bit of technical development, that is also very old. Um uh, <laughs> that like for a draft prospect.
1: Arif said
2: um, no to geriatric players. <laughs> <laughs> it's important, like it, it it translates. It's important, right? Um and, and the thing is, like, I like Terry McLaurin. He was old coming out. You just have to you just have to vastly exceed expectations for um a good college level player the older you are. Like your exp- the bar is just higher uh every additional year you are while you're playing in college. And and somebody like Terry McLaurin exceeded that. Somebody like Boy Mafe, I don't think Necessarily does. That said, I like him a lot. The, the issue with him is that he does not have a, uh, really great or well-developed pass rush hand. Like he, uh, in terms of like the way that, that, that he strings together his moves and stuff like that. Like he has a little bit of flexibility and bend, although he's much more of an explosion power athlete with a really great get off from the line of scrimmage. Um, my understanding of, of him as a personality, the few times that, um, I've talked to a lot of people around here that have interacted with him is that he's just like a pleasure to talk to and interact with. He's like just a super cool dude, which is like great. That's like an additional bonus on top of it. Obviously you'd rather have a good football player, but that's nice. Um, but one thing about him is that there was basically a different pass rushing coach every single year with the Gophers. And so that might explain why, he doesn't have um, a remarkably well-developed tool set and why somebody might be willing to take a chance on him with all of that um, because he needs to do more once his initial plan of attack fails. um, And more importantly, he needs to understand how to develop plans of attack against, you know, offensive linemen. I think he only has something like 13 starts or something like that, right? Like it's not, he does not have a ton of experience um, as a starter or a ton of experience as uh, as somebody that just has to have a pass rush plan, he is a ball of clay. That said, at two hundred sixty pounds, he ran like a four five three or something nuts like that. And he had a forty one inch vertical at his pro day at two hundred fifty nine pounds or two hundred fifty seven or something like that. Just like a remarkable, remarkably explosive athlete with just a little bit of agility and 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 bend um, to go with it. And you can work with that. And, you know, I think he's got kind of the natural instincts to be a run defender, even if he doesn't have some of these other instincts as well developed yet. Um, And again, from a technical perspective, he has to improve as a run defender. But, you know, this is kind of like what it is as an edge defender. A couple of years ago, you could get this kind of guy in the third round. Now, in part because of Minnesota's Daniel Hunter, you can't. All of these super athletes at the edge position where athleticism translates more than any other position. Um, they're getting pushed up a board because everybody knows how much how important athleticism is. So players like you know Boy Mafe or Bud Dupree or Travon Walker will get pushed up a board, um, despite the fact that they need a little bit of help there. Um, and so uh, you know in the past this would be a third round guy that you'd be able to develop. Now it's a second round guy that you have to be comfortable knowing that that he's got to develop. Like you could put him on third down right away and say, hey, just get after the passer. Um, and he's going to struggle a little bit there right away as a designated pass rusher, um, but you can get some value out of him year one. But really, what you're drafting him for, despite being a second round pick, is hoping that by year three, you know, he turns into you know a really devastating player.
0: Now, right after Mafe, Seattle waved their dicks in the face of the analytics community and selected running back Kenneth Walker the third from Michigan State. I like the pick. I think he's the best running back in the draft for the way I foresee Seattle using the position. But a lot of people think it's a misallocation of draft capital, especially with so many other needs on the roster. What are your thoughts?
2: Um, I'm I'm an egghead. I, I don't love the pick, um, especially because like as a as a complete running back, you know he does he does all the running stuff really well. But we don't have a ton in terms of his pass protection, which. Um, you know, analytically, it tends to actually be the most important thing a running back can do um, or or his pass catching, which happens to be kind of next on the list. So he's really good at what you envision a running back doing. And he's not good at the things that running backs are most valuable doing, which is um, which is not to say he's bad at them. It's just he doesn't have very many reps and, and he hasn't sure. demonstrated that he's got um, a ton of talent there yet. He might, you know, right away demonstrate that he can do those things. It, ter- it turns out that that is not. Kind of where we envision him to be, but he's got a great first step. He's got breakaway speed, which I think a, not a lot of people um, understood about Walker is that he does really have a lot of home run talent. Um, you know, because people are comparing him to Brees Hall, who absolutely does have that. Um, but you know, Walker ran a four three eight, right? Like it's not n- <laughs> nothing, right? He's got um, a ton of of speed, a great first step, a lot of explosion, and he's, he's got a little bit of fluidity that I, that I really like. Um, I, I would like for a player of his size to demonstrate more power that might be like a pad level thing I'm not sure but he's a very versatile runner in terms of the things that you ask a running back to do. If you want him to pad it into the goal line, you know maybe that's not his greatest skill, but he can do that. If you want him to get you know four yards in first and ten, you know he absolutely can do that. If you want him to run outside zone, inside zone, if you want to run power, whatever, he could do all of those things, right? And 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 he's really excellent in terms of his ability to find small spaces and and make the most of them. He's got really good vision, uh, and most importantly, you know the more most important running back trait of all, he's got balance, um, and so. Uh, as a running back, I, I think that he's quite good in terms of his position on the consensus draft board. Um, you know, Seattle picked him basically exactly where you would expect somebody like a running back like that to go. Um, I think he was ranked mm-hmm. 41th, uh, 41th, 41st or something like that. Um, on the, it looks like 43rd actually. And he's picked at 41, which is exactly what you want. Um, the board dinged him because, uh, he does not play a valuable position, nor was he perceived as a need for the Seahawks, given the fact that they've got a number of running backs on the roster, which
0: by the way, I disagree with pretty strongly,
2: but That's I, fair. I, yeah, I, I can
0: see kind of surface level. You've got Carson and Penny there. Why are you using such a high pick on a running back? But I don't think you're counting on either Carson or Penny for very long. I, I would not be surprised if Chris Carson has carried his last football and Rashad Penny's on a one year deal. I, I
2: think that's fair. Uh the the board the board's grades are only as good as the inputs, right? Of course. Um but uh primarily whether or not it was a neat run, I would have just picked a running back later. Obviously not somebody who's as good as Kenneth Walker um because, you know, the the running backs are ordered pretty well. But like Brian Robinson, I thought would have been a great pick later on. Um so that, that's kind of like where I, I stand there. Um, but otherwise, like, I mean, he's a good player. You just need to make sure that he understands kind of what the assignments are in pass protection. like, And, and that's really important because like, you know, I cover the Vikings, the Vikings, uh, Alexander Madison, is a really good pass protector when he knows what his assignment is, and he very often does not know what his assignment is. <laughs> um, and so, uh, you know, that's, you know, it, it's just as important to, to learn the assignment as it is to get the technical skills to be a, a good pass protector, and then get him to run routes because, you know, Walker has the athletic ability to be a good pass catcher, but he's not demonstrated very much of that over the course of his career. So um, I, I think that um, you've got some opportunities to gain some value here. I think that in terms of the things that running backs are most valuable at, he's not the world's best back in terms of that. Um, but I certainly understand why a lot of people had him as running back one. In fact, while I was entering in running backs to the consensus big board, at the beginning, most of the boards I was entering in had Walker as the first running back. And then it was only after I'd entered in um, the last 20 or so boards that that Brees Hall moved ahead of him on the consensus board. So it's actually very close in terms of positional value um, between those two guys.
0: Yeah, you know, it. it is super interesting. I think that Kenneth Walker is a worse pick for a lot of other teams than he is for Seattle. Mm-hmm. And the reason for it is, and it's something we've talked about on the show a fair amount, is that there is just such a dramatic difference, even with Russell Wilson, even with Doug Baldwin and DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett and all of these weapons that they've had. There is such a dramatic difference in their overall production and output when they have a running back that is juicing and you know obviously marshawn lynch but even pre-injury thomas rolls and then when chris carson has been healthy versus when chris carson hasn't been it is a totally different offense and i i get that most running backs don't matter a whole lot and most running backs don't matter to most teams very potentially but i do Think it's hard to watch Seattle over the last ten years and and not come to the conclusion that having a running back that's killing it or has the ability to kill it really really affects this team in a positive way and and most recently with Rashad Penny finally rising from the ashes and mm-hmm. transforming the offense, frankly, uh, that had been struggling for two and a half months. So um, there's a lot of projection that goes into this with Kenneth Walker, but I I see. The the process behind it, and it's it's not a process that fits the spreadsheet. And I like the spreadsheets. I like to I'd like to use analytics as the guiding principle, but I think there might be reason to include Kenneth Walker as an exception because of the team fit. Because Seattle has never thrown to their running backs a whole lot, and frankly, because there's a lot of really good running backs in the last number of years that have gone at the top of the second round.
2: No, that's true. Yeah, uh, I cover one of them, Dalvin Cook right um i the one thing to keep in mind is you listed off four different running backs i feel like that's a good indication of two things (laughs) one that it is actually not that hard to find these running backs and two uh they get injured a lot (laughs) it's like one of the reasons that it's difficult to to invest so much in a running back because i think one of the things that that devalues running backs from a career perspective is not whether or not they have the ability to control their own production, which, of course, is a really big part of the equation. You know, that running backs control less of their production than, say, a receiver or quarterback does, but also um, that they have shorter careers, that second contract running backs tend to do very poorly, and that they see the field a lot less often. Again, I cover Dalvin Cook, like, I, I very much understand this, but also Thomas Rawls, Chris Carson, you know, those are really good examples of players that. Um, you know, haven't been able to consistently stay on the field. So that's kind of the the pushback there, but I understand it. Totally I understand it. It's a very fair pushback. I,
0: I, I think that, you know, it's, it's tough because you got Marshawn Lynch and Rashad Penny who were first round picks. And then you've got Chris Carson and Thomas Rawls who are late round slash undrafted guys. And, and it does speak to the fact that they can be found out there, but uh, I certainly don't mind them investing a little bit of draft capital to get, I think the one guy that profiles, as the closest to a Seattle type of running back. But moving on, their next pick ended their day two activities. They took tackle Abraham Lucas out of Washington State. Uh, Local guy. Yeah, yeah. I I don't mean to repeat myself too much here, especially because I've been a fairly harsh critic of Seattle's previous draft classes. But I really like this selection as well. How do you see Lucas projecting as a pro?
2: Um, I, I like it a lot. So here's the thing about Seattle's classes. Um, typically, I've been pretty critical of, of Seattle's draft classes overall. I think a lot of people have and I think it, mostly that's borne out, right? They, they've not had yes. a bunch of great draft classes. Um, and all, it also just happens that they've picked against the consensus and the consensus board specifically um, in in draft after draft after draft. Here, the consensus board thinks that, um, what do they have like nine picks or something like that? Um, mm-hmm. Seven out of the nine picks were positive values for Seattle, right? Um, zero of them were washes, and two of them uh, were negative. And one of them was that Kenneth Walker pick, which of course you know we just had a, a bit of a healthy debate about. So that's even even that's debatable. And of course Kenneth Walker went about around where Seattle, uh, or he went right where the consensus board ranks him anyway. So it's not even that big of a negative. And so Abraham Lucas is one of those players that ends up being a positive for Seattle for two reasons. One. Uh, of course is that he's a tackle right that both a valuable position and a position of need Two, i think that something the board doesn't know is that he's a right tackle right so you got charles cross who's played left tackle his whole career you've got Abraham lucas who's played right tackle his whole career you don't have to teach them opposite sided footwork right which i think is i mean you, you still have a lot to teach Abraham lucas from a footwork perspective but <laughs> sure. you, you don't have to um you, you don't have to worry about you know making sure that he's functionally playing um left-handed right so like that that helps a lot yeah
0: I, and I want to talk about this a little bit. We had uh, Matt Nichols on earlier during the season who was a very accomplished collegiate offensive lineman. And he talked about the difference between playing the left side of the line versus the right side of the line. And he's like, if you think that it's not that difficult, just try putting your pants on with the other leg first next time. Like it requires thought and effort from mm-hmm. how you've always done it. Yeah. And now imagine trying to block an NFL player because <laughs> right. I think that – We tend to see tackle as one position, ah, moving to the left side, moving to the right side, whichever we all have dominant sides and those sides get trained. I do think there is hidden value in the fact that you are actually drafting a collegiate right tackle to play right tackle in the NFL, because I think, and correct me if I'm wrong. A lot of right tackles in the NFL are converted left tackles.
2: Yeah. A lot, a lot of them are a lot of them are. That's true. Yes. Um, and a lot of guards are converted right tackles, and it's really interesting because um, from a skill set perspective, right, from, like, a you list off the skills, right, um, a college right tackle or a classic college right tackle, maybe not a modern college right tackle, has the guards that a classic... Uh, has the qualities that a classic NFL guard has. And so it actually does kind of make sense from that perspective. But in the NFL, you need pass protectors on both sides. Uh, And so that's what ends up happening. But you're right. Like, if you ask an offensive lineman nine out of ten times, and I've asked a bunch of offensive linemen over the years and offensive line coaches over the years, is it more difficult to switch sides or to kick inside on the same side, right? Is it more difficult to switch from left tackle to right tackle or left tackle to left guard? They will almost universally – you know, more than 9 out of 10 times, maybe, will say it's more difficult to switch sides than it is to switch positions. So that, like, that is how important it is because playing deliberately is the opposite of how you want to play football, but you have to, um, you know, if you're switching sides before... You know, you you nail down those neural pathways, muscle memory, right? Before you can have that as part of what you do, your Tyron Smith the switch from right tackle in college to left tackle in the NFL, which is actually more because of a limitation of Matt Khalil, but he had to play right tackle in college, plays left tackle in the NFL. That's extremely rare, right? Um, mm-hmm. It is it is tough mm-hmm. to switch positions, so or, or switch um, switch sides. Um, But yeah, so I I think that you've got somebody who you typically don't get in the third round, right? I don't think you typically get somebody in the third round. Do you feel comfortable starting right away? Now, again, he plays the Washington State system, right? So there's like, it's not what the NFL does. Um, We've we've seen players like, like Andre Dillard, for example, just now did not get his fifth-year option extended, right? Um, we've seen players struggle to adapt from, you know, those systems. And Seattle has drafted from those systems before, and they've had players struggle as well. I think they, like Jermaine Affetti, I think, came from a, a similar system. Um, but, you know, that that is an issue, right? Like, he's got the size and the body of a guy that has the ability to be a devastating run blocker. And in the situations where you've seen him be a run blocker, it has been good, right? But it is pretty rare, like you ask some of these coaches that run this system, um, you know, hey, would you, would you ever consider a season where you don't run the ball at all? And like, sometimes they'll be like, yeah, I've thought about it. (laughs) Like, that's the system (laughs) that he's coming from. (laughs) Right? Right, So, so there, there is, there is something there, but he does project as somebody who, With his skill set, I mean, he's super athletic, right? He's got all of that with him. He ran like a 4.92 or something like that, 316 pounds. That's incredible, right? He's got a great um, 10-yard split. Um, He had a really great set of agility scores for somebody his size. You know, he is athletic, but he is somebody that you feel like with the amount of power that he has can translate well into the run game. He just needs to get his footwork right and his handwork right Uh, In terms of being uh, a run blocker, I think that you can like one of the issues is that sometimes you don't get players that um, as like Paul Alexander, the offensive line coach formerly of the Bengals and the Cowboys would say is that sometimes out of these systems, you don't get players that are mean enough that want to punish people, which like it's funny to think that a system can change the attitude of a player. But yeah, sure. Why not? Sure. I don't really think that that is a concern with somebody like Abraham Lucas. I think that he does like to play with a little bit of edge. So um, I like him a lot. I think that this is a good pick. I think that you do get a little bit of a value add with the fact that you know he he played right tackle. Um, I think that you can have him do all of the athletic zone stuff that you know you would ask Charles Cross to do. I, I think that he has the power and the punch to be able to do all of the um, power based run blocking stuff that you need him to do. Um, it is just, you know, he need, he just needs the reps to do that. And, you know, maybe he'll pick up quickly enough in one off season that'll be effective there. But I expect, you know, that there's a really good chance that he starts right away, but he's not going to be a good run blocker for about a year and a half or something along those lines.
1: When we had Doug Farrar on a couple of days ago, he had mentioned that a projection, a potential, uh, best case scenario for Lucas would be a guy that you cover your own personal tight end to OT convert, uh, Brian O'Neill. Yeah. What yeah, do you think about yeah. that? How does that? How does that line up?
2: I find that funny. I actually, uh, when, when Brian O'Neill was getting first round steam that off season in, the, in that draft season, um, and I saw him at the senior bowl, I was like, this dude is not a first round pick. He does not know how to play tackle very well. Um, that sure sounds like a Seahawks I... offensive lineman to me. <laughs> <laughs> um, and and, and, he, and, he had, and he had a lot to learn, right? He had a lot to learn, especially as a run blocker. Um, I, I think what's kind of funny is that a lot of people perceive pass blocking to be more difficult than run blocking. And in many ways, it is. Um, but that is an athletic limitation. From a technical standpoint, learning the technique, run blocking, is typically much more difficult to teach his technique and to learn his technique than, than pass protecting. Um, it just so happens that when defensive linemen are geared to pass rush, it is a little bit easier once you have the technique down to be able to be an effective run blocker. Um, and so it takes a little bit longer for... Um, somebody who doesn't have that run blocking technique to get it down, and Brian O'Neill you, right away was actually—I mean, he didn't play right away. They they had Rashad Hill play right tackle for a while, um, but when Rashad Hill got hurt, um, possibly less than the Vikings let on, they put Brian O'Neill in, and well, yeah, I guess he's hurt. I guess we're, our rookie has to play, and he and he played pretty spectacularly as a pass protector. Didn't give up a sack for like two and a half seasons, something like that. Um, yeah, just wild stat. And then um uh and, and he and he, and he gained ground as a run blocker over time. And now he's a pretty good run blocker. He's still a really great pass protector. Um it's interesting because I feel like he's overrated by Vikings fans by a substantial margin and underrated nationally in terms of his ability to play right tackle. So he's kind of in this weird gray. Sounds
0: zone. like every player on
2: every team. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, like, I talked to, like, Vikings, do you think he's the best right tackle in the NFL? I'm like, not even close. What the fuck are you talking about? I don't know if I can swear. (laughs) (laughs) uh, Oh, yeah. yeah. You're good. (laughs) But but he's good, right? Which is why he got the contract that he got. And so, I actually, I don't think that that's a bad development curve. Um, Pitt did play a little bit more pro-style stuff. And so, um, he does have a little bit more experience there. But he did play tackle really late. So, I, I do think that you'll probably get a bit of a longer... Um, development curve for somebody like Abraham Lucas, but that's why somebody as athletic as him goes in the fourth round and not in the second round, so it it all makes sense.
0: No, that that does make sense, and day three saw Seattle take a number of players, all a bit more raw than their earlier selections as you'd expect, but like Lucas, have some pretty intriguing upsides. Those players include Kobe Bryant, a cornerback out of Cincinnati, Tariq Woolen, another corner who was a convert from receiver with some freak measurables. Uh, he's from University of Texas, San Antonio. They got another edge in Tyreek Smith from Ohio State. And finally, a couple of receivers in Bo Melton out of Rutgers and Derek Young from Lenore Rhine. Anybody stand out to you from this group or from the list of undrafted free agents that Seattle picked up?
2: Yeah, I mean, uh, from the, the players that I'm familiar with, um, I could just run through it really quick. Kobe Bryant I thought was a great pick. I think that he's got the ability, despite playing in the fourth round, to play right away. Um, he was targeted a ton because he's playing opposite Sauce Gardner, and uh, very often quarterbacks or offensive coordinators would throw at Sauce Gardner once at the beginning of the game to try and make a statement, get picked, and then try and throw at Kobe Bryant for the rest of the game. <laughs> 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 and, and 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 Bryant's, you know – you know, elevated himself to the task. He did a really remarkable job. And in fact, because he got targeted so often, he has a ton of on-ball production.
0: I was just going (laughs) to say, man, the guy had, I I think it was 10 picks and 45 pass pickups, which (laughs) is like bananas (laughs) numbers. And I wanted to ask you specifically, is it just because no one was throwing a sauce?
2: Yeah, no, it was. I actually, I I asked a a MAC uh, coordinator about this. I was like, hey, so this Kobe Bryant guy is pretty good. He's like, yeah, okay, there's a reason that he has so many pass deflections because he gets targeted so often. Kobe Bryant is a really excellent player, but sauce Gardner is unreal. And yeah. and so uh you know, every so often we we'd feel it, you know, we're like, "Hey, you know, our receiver, we think our receiver is the best in the conference. He'll go up against sauce Gardner. We'll, we'll 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 go deep and we'll we'll test it out. We've got a great quarterback. We'll do this and then they never again." Uh, and so <laughs> and and so which gives Bryant a ton of experience, right? Cuz there's Sure. There's like reps where you're covering uh, a receiver. That's important experience. And then reps, you're covering a receiver and you're targeted. And that's even more important experience. Um, so because of that, his on ball production tricks, I think, a lot of people. Um, and again, he's a good player. I want to say he's not. Tricks a lot of people, and which is why he won so many friggin' awards coming out of uh, his final year, right? Because he's like first-team All-American, first-team All-Conference. He won the Jim Thorpe Award for like the best defensive back in the country, even though he wasn't even the best defensive back on his team. Maybe not even the... Second, I mean, they had some good safeties too, <laughs> but but he's a really good player. Um, it's just easy to get tricked. I mean, he's got uh, a sure. decent amount of length. He obviously is tall and he's athletic. He ran, I think, a 4.47 at his pro day, which I think is more accurate to the way he plays than the 4.5 that he ran at the combine. Um, but, you know, there, there is still a, a little bit, you know, his fluidity is not quite up there with some of the top um, corners, which is kind of why he was picked where he was. But I feel comfortable playing pretty quickly. Tariq Woolen, six four, ran a four two six. I'm like, I don't know how many six four guys run a four two. Right, like that's incredible. None, Z- literally
0: zero in history.
2: <laughs> yeah. So. uh I love the pick, right? Especially, that is a super Seattle pick. That's an incredibly Seattle pick. The fact that they got somebody who was ready to play corner a little bit more immediately is like a funny addition that helps with the pick. But he played receiver for like three years, I think, or he redshirted one of those years um, before converting to cornerback. He actually had a decent amount of on-ball production given that. But yeah, he has a ton to learn. Um, but I really, really like, you know, the pick. He's... Uh, strangely, in how crazy this class is, he's probably the second most athletic corner in the class. I think Zion McCollum from Sam Houston State, you know, um, is probably a better athlete just in terms of after you adjust for all of those things. But like nuts and absolutely perfect for the kind of system that Seattle had run in the past. You know, they run it a little bit less now, but um, will allow them to shut down a lot of the sideline stuff. And so I, I really like that pick a lot. Um, I don't know a ton about um, Tyreek Smith from from Ohio State, so or Ty- yeah, so I'll let that one go. Bo Melton, a uh, super complete, uh, every element of athleticism, he has it. Um, he's, uh, I think he's primarily going to be a return guy for Seattle. Mistake me if I'm wrong, uh, or correct me if I'm, I'm mistaken. But um, I kind of like that development path for him. I, I think that there is a lot to learn for him. Um, but uh, I really like just the overall package. I thought I should have gone a lot earlier in the draft, so I thought that was a good pick. I don't know anything about Derek Young. Um so I'm sure they You, made a you haven't
0: pick. been scouting Lenore
2: Ryan? Uh strangely oh. I have been, but not that guy. With-
0: <laughs> 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 oh, oh that's awesome, man. Well and and I think I think it's important for people listening, too, you know, we want to try and project every player that our favorite team picks as what they look like as an NFL starter or whatever. You get to day three, most of these guys are not making the team. Yeah. And and you're looking for ways for them to hang on. I think what's exciting is with Bryant and Woolen, you're seeing two players that have legitimate starter upside, but because of the fact that they were taken a little bit later, they're going to have some time to learn and really bear that out. Yeah. But I think when you're looking at Melton and Young, you're looking at guys trying to make it as a gunner, guys trying to make it on kick coverage, maybe as a returner. And then if they can earn a spot, doing the special teams thing. Maybe they get enough reps to become the next Freddie Swain and right. get 18 targets a year. You know, we're, we're not needing uh huge production out of these guys for them to necessarily have been the right pick in the moment.
2: Yeah, no, for sure. I think that um, like, if you end up with like a BC Johnson amount of production from somebody um, who ended up starting for the Vikings, that was a disaster. Right. But, <laughs> but, but if you get that from a sixth, seventh round pick, fantastic. It's a good pick. No matter what happens with BC Johnson, at least on the field from here on out, it's been a great pick for the Vikings, the fact that they got as much production out of him that they did. So, um, yeah, absolutely. Right? You, the In terms of the expectations. And I think Bo Melton is exactly the kind of player that can fit along that development curve. And so that's, the, that's what you're envisioning for that kind of player. And I think that's great. Um, and among the undrafted free agents, I think the two safeties, I don't know if they had other safeties, but the two safeties that I know, um, Bubba Bolden from Miami and Joey Blunt, from, I forget the school's name, um, are both top 400 on the consensus board. Um, they both were fairly versatile when they when they played in college. I think that um, Blunt uh, played uh, slot corner, free safety, strong safety. He rushed off the edge a little bit. He played a little bit of linebacker. Um, they had him do basically everything. Um, and Bubba Bolden did a ton of uh, single high stuff and um, and in the box stuff. Now, projecting in the NFL, I don't know that that blunt can play center field in like a cover three system in the way that you need that kind of range. But, uh, for the most part, I, I think that that's, it's fun to have safeties that are that versatile. Um, I'm not used to seeing particularly versatile safeties in Seattle. So that's kind of interesting. Um, uh, they tend to do the one thing and, and hopefully they do it really well. Um, but, it is nice to get a pair of guys that have the ability to compete for either position. Um, I think for Blunt, there's just like a lot of field awareness stuff that he doesn't necessarily have in terms of, you know, run angles and, and, and getting to his spot in the zone landmarks and stuff like that, which is probably why he's ranked outside of the top 300. But for Bolden, that, that is there. I mean, he's a, a fairly good athlete um, and he kind of knows where he needs to be. He knows like kind of exactly the path he needs to take to get to the runner and stuff like that. He gets kind of hung up on blocks a little bit. Um, he overreaches a little bit. Um, his tackling is not like remarkable, like he likes to hit, um, but very often his most successful tackles are like ankle tackles and stuff like that. So um, there's a bunch of weaknesses here that, that dropped them completely out of the draft, and that's fair. But I like that um, they're uh, in college they were athletic enough to basically do everything that was asked of them. In the NFL, that athleticism is going to be a little bit more limited in terms of what they'll be asked to do. Um, I wouldn't expect either of them to be kind of man coverage guys, and they did, both of them did that in college. Um, But I I think that that experience and that their um, overall ability to play a variety of positions, especially cover two type stuff or cover four type stuff, um, is going to be really helpful. So I like both of those undrafted free agents a lot. The rest, I don't know anything about. That
0: is just remarkable to me that you could go like that (laughs) of a couple (laughs) of undrafted guys for a team halfway across the country. But that's why we brought you in. All right. All right. Everybody loves a draft grade, and the grades Seattle's received so far from the national media have been surprisingly pleasant, ones that you're happy to show your mom when on report card day. But I want to know what you think about each of these picks. So, rapid fire, grade the selection: Charles Cross, uh, A plus, Boya Mafe, A minus, Kenneth Walker, C, A minus, gotcha, Abe Lucas. <laughs> Uh, B plus day three as a whole, uh, give it an A. That, that is a good draft folks. (laughs) When you got a reef giving you that many A's and B's, that is a good draft. (laughs) Cause this guy knows the shit.
2: I I thought it was a great, I mean, the, the numbers thought it was a great draft too. You know, seven out of nine positive value picks really like it.
1: We've reached the center of the Venn diagram.
2: (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
0: I mean, honestly, though, it's just it's there are a couple of uh, things that were just nice about the draft experience as a Seahawks fan. For the first time in 10 years, I'm not Googling a day one or day two pick. Uh, And I'm also not spending the next two weeks like sifting through just the universal panning of their approach and for the longest time i was like oh everyone hated their 2010 through 2012 drafts too because they went against the consensus boards and all of these things and those were amazing drafts but then it was like 2013 through 2018 happened and it was like yeah actually actually it might be time to get back on the train tracks
2: and they definitely did that with this draft it's been awesome yeah. Yeah, it's nice to see Matty Brown not spinning his wheels trying to justify every pick, I think. (laughs) I think now that he's got some teeth to bite into, he'll be happy.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. (laughs) Well, listen, finally, finally, last question for you. As you look at Seattle's draft overall, what does it tell you about how Seattle's positioning itself in a post-Russell Wilson, post-Bobby Wagner world?
2: Um, I think that, one, it it shows that they're – um, really comfortable with the idea of waiting for the right quarterback to arrive to them. They didn't rush on a quarterback, and that's nice, and they know that they need to build a team that's capable of accepting a quarterback without, like, traumatizing them, right? Like, I'm really worried what's going to happen <laughs> to Justin Fields in Chicago. Oh, man. <laughs> Seriously. That is tragic over there. Yeah, they're like, hey, we got you a right tackle last year. We didn't play, but we got a right tackle last year, so you're good right <laughs> yeah.
0: and and you know what you don't need any receivers either don't yeah, here's, here's, me come on here's, here's the next Vilas Jones six. yeah we we got you yeah. a 26 year old return guy <laughs> to be your wide receiver too show us what you got kid yeah. <laughs>
1: Hey, I think they let Jermaine Affetti walk, so that just might be addition by subtraction. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs>
0: maybe they're moving in the right direction.
2: <laughs> but yeah, I mean, uh, it, it very much seems like Seattle does not want to be that. They want to create an environment that a, that a quarterback can succeed in before they find the right quarterback. And grabbing, which is nice, and it also seems like they're fairly open to... Um, I, I don't know if new ideas is the right word, but it's, it's fairly open to adapting to the fact that yes. the previous strategy wasn't working. And that um, is... It, remarkable. I don't, there's, it, that doesn't happen very often in the NFL where somebody um, takes just a hard left turn and is just like, guys, yeah, this is not our strategy no longer exists. So we'll just do the thing that everybody else. Is doing. <laughs> it's, it's fine. Well, I like, you it. know,
0: honestly, and they kind of joked about that in some of their post-draft uh, press conferences. Um, <laughs> some reporter pointed out like, Hey, you, you took a lot of guys that people thought you should take Talk us through that, and Pete Carroll's like, "What do you mean? Is that not what we normally do?" It, it was awesome, and it and it it showed. You know, you you picked the perfect word, adaptability. And one of my frustrations with Pete Carroll and John Schneider has been me projecting a lack of adaptability onto them, mm-hmm. but. I think it's important to remember that when you spend 40 years building a philosophy that has taken you to the absolute heights of football, winning national championships, winning a Super Bowl, that it's not just like, oh, hey, a couple of drafts didn't turn out. Let's just pivot like you are turning a battleship. And and I certainly applaud uh, Seahawks leadership for at least giving that an attempt. Um, so, uh, you know, I'm, I am I am pleased about that, and I'm glad they're not rushing the process. I didn't mm-hmm. get a sense from this draft that they approached it like they were one or two players away from competing for a yeah, Super Bowl absolutely. And, and reaching because Pete's 70-something, and – you know, there's Jody Allen was there in the draft room with them. She is starting to, to exert some influence on how things are going. So that's uh, that's I, Mike I, Dugar's
2: theory for why the draft was so good, by the way. That she yeah, in the room.
0: <laughs> I, I know. I saw that. I saw that. We we had Mike on the show too, and and yeah, that doesn't surprise me one bit. But
1: so Paul was down for the weird shit, huh?
0: I, yeah, I I think I think that what probably happened is Pete and John earned a little bit of hands-off treatment from, uh, Paul Allen by yeah. crushing those first three drafts. And, and now Jody is saying en- enough of that, but either way, you know, I, I was worried that there would be external pressure to try and win 10 games again next year and make some playoff push that they're very clearly ill-equipped to do. So I'm, I'm into the slow
2: play on it. I really like it, especially cause like um, you've got players that, that are perfectly suited for that kind of slow play because now you don't feel rushed to play Abraham Lucas. You don't feel rushed to play Tariq Willen. Knowing that your coverage is getting burned or whatever, you don't feel like, well, we got this other fourth round corner. Maybe we can get him in. Um, let them you know, adapt and, and learn and evolve at their own pace, for sure.
0: Listen, man, this has been an awesome conversation. I really, really appreciate you taking the time. Before we get out of here, why don't you let the people know where they can get more insight like this?
2: Yeah, for sure. Um, you can follow me on Twitter. I don't know if you'll get much insight from my Twitter, but why not? <laughs> follow me on Twitter at <laughs> Arif Hassan NFL, A-R-I-F, Um, You can read my articles at the theathletic.com, slash author, slash arif Um And I've got my own podcast, Norse Code, where I did a lot of this for the Vikings class. Honestly, it's very similar, the most recent episode. So go ahead and check that out.
0: Hey, man. Again, again, we appreciate it so much. And that's going to be a wrap for us as well. Another huge thanks to Arif for joining us and to you out there for listening. If you're checking us out for the first time, make sure you're subscribed to the podcast so you don't miss an episode and feel free to give us a follow on social media as well. You can find me on Twitter at at Jackson Bevins, that's J-A-C-S-O-N. Mike is at at Mike Barwin and the show itself is at Cigar Thoughts. You can also find us on Instagram at Cigar Thoughts NFL and on Facebook at Seahawk Cigar Thoughts. Of course you can listen to this show and read every article at feelgoalscom slash cigar thoughts and if you're listening on apple podcasts and like the show drop us a five-star rating and leave a quick review we remain incredibly grateful for your support as the show continues to grow not just tuning in but leaving the reviews and sharing on social media and we appreciate it so much we'll be back soon but in the meantime onwards and upwards my friends